Hey, online church, so glad you're watching today. I'm talking about your eyes. What are you looking at? And how is it affecting the quality of your life and where your life is headed? Let's get right into the message today, right in the eye. Everybody say anatomy. How many of you guys liked anatomy, science, when you were in school? All right, the science fans in the house. Bill Nye, the science guy. Well, we're going to start this series, and I'm excited because I was studying the scriptures earlier this summer, and I kept coming across scriptures that talked about the eye. And I thought, you know, I want to do a three-week series all about the eye, the eye of our life, how we see God, how we see others, how we see ourselves. And God said, why would you stop at the eye? I have so much to say about all the parts of the body that there's so many deep, rich truths connected to the anatomy of our theology, the anatomy of our spirituality, that there's, there's this connection between science and the Bible. They were never meant to be enemies. They were meant to go together like beef and cheddar. Come on, somebody. Come on, like peanut butter and jelly. What else goes together? Salt and pepper, mac and cheese. We could keep going, but the main thing is that Bible and science, they're meant to complement one another, not compete with each other. And, and so there's this connection between how God designed our anatomy, the structure of our body, our organs, our cells, our eyes, our tongue, our ears, our heart, our digestive system. We're gonna have a week about that. You don't want to miss that one. We're going to get some junk out of you. Hey. But this week, we're going to talk about the eye. And what you see is what you get. So let's go to the Bible. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. And I want to title this message, Right in the Eye. Right in the Eye. Everybody say, Right in the Eye. This is going to be, I think, the best series we've done yet. While you're turning there, some interesting facts about the eye, just in case you were wondering, is that our eyes are made up of two million working parts. Two million working parts. How can you say there's not a God when there's so much detail to the human body? And say, well, we just evolved from monkeys. Really? And our eye is made up of two million working parts? Scientists today are bewildered by the eyeball. It is such a unique attribute. The, the, uh, today, did you know that no eyeball is the same? You can now be detected uh, by your eyeball. It, it, it confirms your identity. They're getting more and more uh, in, in uh, CSI investigation and even in being able to check into certain um, places where you are only allowed to go if you have clearance. They read through your eye to see if you are who you say you are. The eye is the fastest, most active muscle in the body. The eye captures 36,000 images every single hour. The eye is constantly taking things in. Your eye will see 24 million different things across its lifespan. It is uh, uh, four seconds for the perfect length of time to look someone in the eye and it not to be awkward and for you to be able to see what color their eyes are. Look at the person next to you, staring contest. Ready, set, go. All right. Now look at that person and say, what are you looking at? With a little bit of attitude. What are you looking at? What are 
you looking at? Now, the Bible had a lot to say about the eye. The Bible, in fact, the Bible mentions the eye 500 times. The Bible talks about our eyes 500 different times throughout Scripture. It's the second most mentioned part of the body in the Bible. The eyes in Scripture revealed the character of a man or woman. The eyes in Scripture revealed the integrity of a person. The eyes revealed the receptivity. In other words, the Bible says that people can have eyes but not see. So the prophet said there are, that, that, that your eyes determine the receptivity of God's word in your life. Closed eyes uh, really reveal a closed heart. Open eyes reveal an open sensitivity to what God is saying. There's a, a, a theologian named Jerome. He said the face is the mirror of the mind and the eyes without speaking confess the secrets of the heart. Your eyes give yourself away. Uh, when detectives are trying to figure out if you're lying, they don't look at your mouth, they don't look at your ears, they don't look at your forehead, they look directly at your eyes because your eyes will often give yourself away. My wife knows when I'm paying attention. She'll say, you're looking at me, but I don't know if anything's going on in there right now. Come on, how many of y'all wives, you know that sometimes with your husbands, <laughs> right? We could be looking at something and we're, we're staring off. It's hard to kind of force your eyes not to show what you're thinking. They say, if your eyes look to the left, there's something going on there. If they look up, if they look down, if they look away, your eyes are giving yourself away. What are your eyes saying? And the Bible also says that what your eyes take in determine where your life goes, that your eyes are the window of the soul. So Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 22, he says this, your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body will fill up with light. But if you live squinty-eyed in greed, distrust, suspicion, your body is a dank cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. Jesus was trying to help people get free from having the wrong kind of eyes. The NIV version says that good eyes mean you have a good life. Bad eyes mean you have a dark life. As kids, we used to sing this song, be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little eyes what you see. For the Father up above, he is looking down with love, so be what you see, yeah. And it's important that we pay attention to what we're paying attention to. The direction of my eyes determines the direction of my feet. What you look at, you start moving towards. The longer you look at something or someone, the more you start to move towards them. Before I pursued my wife to become my wife, I was eyeing her. I had my eye on that girl. I was, I was checking her out. All right, too much information. But there was, y'all know what I'm talking about. The longer you look at something, the more you start to pursue it, right? When you look at something, you start to think about it. It's first an image that comes through the eyes and then it becomes a thought that you meditate on. Everything we do is driven by our eyes. Our eyes determine even what we want to eat. Our eyes determine what it is we want to wear. Our eyes determine what job looks enticing. Our eyes determine how we view our relationships, how we view where we're at right now, the season of life. This is why Paul the Apostle said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. In other words, Paul was saying, turn the lights on in your eyes. 
You're gonna miss things if you're looking at life the wrong way. You're going to miss the value of the current season you're in if all you see is what's wrong with the situation. Yesterday I came home from studying for my sermon and I had to take a quick shower and I was running inside the house and my four-year-old, my three-year-old, they, they met me at the front of the, the house and they said, Daddy, 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 we built a fort. We built a fort. We want you to see it. You got to see it. I said, guys, I got to go to Saturday night church service. And they said, please, Daddy, please come look at our fort. You've got to see it with your own eyes. I was like, okay, I will run up there. And so I go up to their room and their fort was this and it was crazy this doesn't this doesn't even capture half of the mess that was happening in the room they had taken all the clothes off the hangers thrown it on the ground clothes out of the drawers they had taken every single toy they could find and thrown it in there their fort was the biggest mess they they had made then they found notebooks all across our house and they tore out individual sheets of paper and this is what you don't see in the hallway they made like literally 500 sheets of paper and they said dad it's snowing we've created snow and, and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking about my sermon and I'm asking myself, what do I see? What do I see? <laughs> the first thing I saw was the mess. And what I heard God say is, Paul, look beyond the mess. There's two healthy boys in that room that aren't in the hospital. There's two healthy boys that are laughing and smiling and having a good time. Yeah, you need to teach them a lesson, but don't miss this season because you're looking at the mess. Don't miss the value of right now because you're consumed by the flaws of what's wrong with your job, what's wrong with your kids. See, the problem is too many people, they turn the lights on later in life. We've had parents come to Ash and I and say, I know it's tough, but trust me, you're gonna wish these days back when they become teenagers. I'm like, is it really that bad out there? And they're like, when they start growing up, you're gonna wish, oh, if I could go back and just live with my three-year-old again, I'm like, it's pretty tough in here, you know? <laughs> like, you probably forgot, but three-year-olds right now, it's insane. It's a little crazy. And, and they're saying, don't, don't wish this away because I did that and I regret it now because the lights are turned on and I didn't know how good I had it back then. I didn't know how good it was when I had that, that baby. I, for singles in the room, there's married people that have said, don't don't skip past that season. You don't realize how important and valuable the single life is. I know you want so bad to get married, but once you get married, you're going to wish that you would have made the most of your single life. <laughs> Marriage is great, but how many know every season of life is important in God's eyes? And if we're just skipping through seasons of life, wishing for the next season, we're going to miss seeing the value. When my dad passed away, I didn't realize how good I had it until he was gone. How often the lights are turned on when someone leaves and you realize how good it was when they were there, when they're no longer there. It's like, oh, the lights turned on. What if we could turn the lights on before we trip? What if we could turn the lights on before the season's over? What if we could turn the lights on right now and start opening our eyes wide with thankfulness, wide with hope, wide with the light of God to see what God sees in our current season? What if we flip the lights on in our eyes? It's important what you're looking at because what you look at really does determine the quality of your life. The direction of your eyes determines the quality of your life. You can look at the mess and your life will feel like it's a mess. The direction of your eyes determines the enjoyment of your life. 
What I'm looking at, it drives my satisfaction. This is why in the Bible it talks about the wandering eye. The wandering eye doesn't realize how good he has what he has right in front of him. So he's constantly looking for the next affair, the next fix. She's constantly got this wandering eye like once I get that person or that thing, then I'll be happy. Then they get it and they're emptier than they were before. Because the wandering eye is never satisfied. What if we had the eye to see the value of what's right in front of us? What if we had eyes that were full of light? The, the wisest man in his time, King Solomon, said this in Proverbs chapter 4, uh, verse 23, verse 25. He says this. He says, keep your eyes straight ahead. Ignore all sideshow distractions. Watch your step. Watch your step because where you're walking, you need to pay attention to where you're going. This is an important message to start the school year for a lot of students. You don't even realize, but your feet are going somewhere. He says, pay attention to this. I don't know about you, but when I'm driving, I like to eat. Some of you guys like to do your makeup in the car. I like to eat my meals on the run, on the drive. Who likes to eat your lunch in the car drive, right, or dinner? I like to get it to go. I'm eating it, and oftentimes the sauce will drip from my burger or from my piece of pizza. The sauce that I've been dipping my chicken in, it, right? Chick-fil-A sauce. Come on, somebody. It drips down, and I got to get that sauce. And I'm driving. I got, I'm driving down Memorial. I'm like, oh, I got to get that sauce off my leg because it's, it's, it's too good to miss. So I'm getting my pinky, and I'm trying to get the sauce, and I'm trying to adjust the music. And some of you guys are looking at your phones while you're driving, and you start swerving in the direction of your eyesight. Your eyes determine where you go. He says, keep your eyes straight ahead. Ignore all sideshow distractions. Watch your step. The road will stretch out smooth before you look neither right nor left. Leave evil in the dust. Recently, I was taking, not recently, it was a few years ago. I took my dog, PJ, on a walk. And PJ and I, we were walking. It was dark at night. And we were just enjoying a good walk. I had him on the leash. And, and everything was going good until his eyes caught the sight of a little bunny rabbit and all of a sudden he just froze and he's just locked in on the bunny rabbit and he's like <sighs> like he's just stirring up his appetite your eyes drive your appetite right your eyes are bigger than your stomach by the way and so all of a sudden PJ and your eyes cause you to do stupid things sometimes if you don't look away PJ is staring at the bunny and he just takes off and I'm running with him and he's you know going all over this whole neighborhood and we're running and I I can't contain him sometimes your eyes can turn your muscles into being stronger than you actually are this is why in the Bible some crazy sins happen and guys said I didn't even know what came over me because your eyes can turn you into a monster sometimes can turn you into an animal and you start doing things that are beyond human nature you got to be careful what your eyes are looking at. So PJ is, is running so fast, I can't even contain. I had, like, he just gets away, and I can't even hold on to the leash. And 10 seconds later, I hear this. And I go looking in the dark like a shepherd looking for his lost sheep. And I find PJ, and he has chased the bunny rabbit into the barbed wire fence. And his face is bloody and marred and ripped. And he's crying. I know, he's so bloody and sad. And I pick him up like my little sheep. And I 
carried him home. I said, Ashley, we got to take him to, you know, the, the, the animal doctor, whatever you call him. The veterinarian. I'm still learning English. <laughs> hey, come on. <laughs> so I take him to the, the animal doctor and he stitches him up and he bandages. He puts, you know, stuff around his face and then he puts this big white cone around his head. For the next two months, PJ had to walk around with the cone of humiliation. Just ashamed of his sin, ashamed of his mistake. I said, it's okay, PJ, we're going to restore you. You're going to get back again. Just don't chase those bunnies anymore. But we learn our lesson. It was the eyes that drove David to commit adultery with another man's wife. It was the eyes that drove Joshua to look for the promised land, what was on the other side of Jericho. It was the eyes that drove Saul to chase a young boy because he was driven with eyes of jealousy, eyes of envy. I wonder what's stirring your eyes to miss the path that God has for you. What's trying to distract you? What's trying to pull you away? In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3 through 5, all these distractors kept coming to Nehemiah. He was trying to rebuild the walls of Israel. He knew where he was supposed to be. Some of you, you know I'm supposed to be in school. I'm not here to get my MRS degree. I'm here to get my bachelor's degree. I'm here to get my doctor. I'm not here just to find a boy or find a girl. I'm here for my destiny. I'm not just here to, you know, get a paycheck. I'm here to change this company. I'm here to bring Jesus to the culture of where I work. And so Nehemiah, he had a focus, he had a purpose, he was on the wall, it wasn't just about a wall, it was about changing the nation of Israel, giving them hope again. But these guys kept coming, they said, come on Nehemiah, come down from the wall, we want to talk to you. They didn't want to talk to him, they wanted to pull him away from his purpose. And Nehemiah said something to them that we preached last year during the On Mission series, he said, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. He knew where to keep his eyes. He had a laser focus. I want you to put your hand on your eyes right now. Say, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work and my eyes cannot come down. You see, the devil wants to tempt you. That's why I think the biggest part of your body the devil is after is your eyes. It is the number one current addiction in the church right now the addiction to pornography it is the big there is such an attack on the eyes not just of the young but of the old there's an attack on the eyes of mankind not just with lust but an attack of depression so we're scrolling on our phones right we're consumed we're sitting in the grand canyon and we're just on instagram we're not even we're not even enjoying the grand canyon my phone is cracked <laughs> and we're just here and we're missing what's right in front of us and, and we're filled with depression oh they're getting to do that oh they like that picture but they didn't like my picture oh, oh my goodness they stopped following me I don't care that real life is happening out here I'm consumed with, with non-real life that's happening on here right now I mean, I'm not saying that it's non-real life. Listen, I get it. It's pictures of real things. But what if we just put this down just for a moment? What if this week you got your eyes fixed on something different than your cell phone? What if we were like, man, I want to be present with the people right in front of me. I want to be present at the school that I've signed up for. I want to be fully engaged. I want my eyes on something that's going to enlighten my soul. 
If eyes are the window to my soul, how are my windows? If eyes are like a doorway to the house of my life, what am I letting inside? My parents, they were very particular about what they let into their house. If John and I had gotten out in mud and we'd been rolling around and, and our feet were dirty, they'd say, take your shoes off before you come in this house. Because they were very particular about what we were tracking into their house. What if we were that particular about what we were tracking into our life through the windows of our soul? What if we were careful about what we were looking at and said, no, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 9, and then again, he says this in Matthew 5. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye, what, <laughs> rather than having two eyes and be cast into hell. Now, all the listeners that day, they understood what he meant. He wasn't speaking literally, he was speaking figuratively. It was a figure of speech. Just like he says in Matthew 7, verse three, stop looking at the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own eye. He wasn't necessarily talking about an actual wooden log. He was saying, if your eyes are consumed with things that are hindering your destiny, remove them from your eyes. Don't pluck your eyes out. There are some people that took this literally in 300 AD and they plucked their eyes out. Later on, they, they understood that he meant it figuratively, but they couldn't get their eyes back in there. So don't, don't like go out today and go, I'm plucking my husband's eyes out. Uh, don't like, please, please understand the point of the message here. The point is to say, Lord, whatever it is that's got my eyes looking down with defeat, depression, discouragement, lust, pride, guilt, anger, envy, comparison, remove it. Lord, get it out so that way my eyes can be clear and bright and full of light and hope. What are you looking at? What are you looking at right now? What are you seeing? The man in, in Proverbs, the the king of Israel, Solomon. There's a reason why he said, don't look to the left or to the right, leave evil in the dust, look straight ahead. It's because in the next chapter, in the next few chapters, he starts to share a story with us. He says, I was looking out the window from my house and I saw a young man with a simple heart. In other words, simplicity of heart meant that he did not even pay attention to where he was going. He didn't pay attention to what he was paying attention to. He would sit in a church service and go, this message is good for my spouse. This message is good for my parents. This message is good for everybody else, but not for me because I'm good here. It goes in one ear and out the other. No, no one could preach to this person. No one could correct this guy. He was convinced in his own ways. And this wise king looking out the window, he says, I saw this man and he was walking down the street and he looked in the direction of the prostitute's house. He looked in the direction of, of the seductress. And little did he know that that woman was married and that her husband was coming home soon. But the longer he looked in that direction, the more his feet started to follow his gaze. Where your gaze goes, your feet follow. Where your eyes go, your feet will follow. That's why this message is so important. What if we turn the lights on and go, I'm not looking at the right thing here. And it's starting to drive my life a different direction than I actually intend to go in my heart. Because direction, not intention, determines destination. Doesn't matter how much you pray to live a holy life, if your feet are headed towards unholy things, then your intentions aren't really determining the, the direction of your life. It's your feet. Your feet are following your eyes. What are you looking at? Because the longer you look at that thing, the more you meditate on it, the more you're gonna end up doing it. And what you chase is what you become. 
idolatry turns its captives into people that look exactly like the idol. What are you chasing? Is it making you more like Jesus or is it turning you into something you never wanted to be? And you say, well, how do I break free from it? It starts with the eyes. If you can get the eyes on the right thing, I'm telling you, you can change your life. If you can get your eyes looking in the right direction. Proverbs says there's six things that God hates, seven things that are an abomination, and the number one first thing is haughty eyes. And you go, man, I've seen a hottie with some hot eyes. That's not what he's talking about. Not talking about a hottie with nice eyes. He's talking about prideful eyes, arrogant eyes. I looked this up because I was interested. What does he mean by haughty eyes? And what he meant was people who are unapologetic about anything and everything that they may do that's wrong behavior. In other words, this person is always right in their own eyes and never wrong. There's an excuse for every part of their behavior. It's always your fault, and there's always someone else to blame. Haughty eyes doesn't necessarily mean you walk around and go, I'm so awesome, everybody needs to bow down and worship me. Haughty eyes means I'm never wrong. I'm gonna argue in this argument until you realize how wrong you are and how right I am. Haughty eyes means you better get a whole bunch of witnesses and get all the jury nodding in your agreement if you're ever gonna get me to apologize. <laughs> Haughty eyes is a spirit of entitlement. It's looking down on people. It's looking with this superior eye. I'm better than you. Some of us have envious eyes. We want what others have. We have a wandering eye. We're ne it's never enough, never, never. We're constantly looking for the next thrill, the next fix. And God's going, you don't realize. One day the lights are going to turn on, and you're going to look back and realize how good you had it. Stop chasing all these fantasies that won't actually satisfy you. They're fantasies. He says, if you will get your eyes on the right thing. Some of us, we were blessed with a competitive spirit growing up. We just like to compete. We're competitive people. I get it. I am too. I'm competitive. But the older I've gotten, the more God has checked me and said, Paul, you're not in a competition with everybody. Stop trying to compete against people that are that are meant to be running that same race with you. Like, the only person you need to beat is you from yesterday. You need to be a better you than you were yesterday. You need to stop trying to beat your brothers and your sisters. Celebrate their success. Stop competing with people. Some of us have eyes of laziness. We got the lazy eye. And we just want everything in life for free. Just give it to me. Let it be easy. Let it come. You know, I don't need to work for it. I don't want to get up out of bed. Some of us have hardworking eyes. And so we despise people who get blessed for things they didn't earn. And we have no mindset of grace in our life because everything I earned it. I worked hard. I don't get it why they get blessed. And, and so your eyes are constantly cynical of people who didn't work as hard as you. And what Jesus is saying is we need to do a spiritual eye exam. I want to wash your eyes the same way that Saul changed to Paul. And in that conversion, something like scales fell from his eyes. The same way that Jesus showed up in Mark 8, verse 23. And a blind man wanted to be healed. 
And he said, Jesus, would you heal my blindness? It says that Jesus led the man out of the village. Sometimes God has to get you out of your comfort zone to bring you to your miracle. Sometimes God has to lead you away from your comfortable friendships to bring you to your miracle. And so he leads this blind man, and it says that Jesus spit in his eyes. This was a divine spit. This was, this was a godly spit. If Jesus is fully God, fully man, his spit was like rivers of living water. <laughs> washing this man's eyes. And he says, I, I'm starting to see. And Jesus laid his hands on him. It was a process. It didn't happen immediately. For some of us in this room, our eyes are going to go through a process of healing. A process of freedom from that addiction that's got your eyes all caught up. Satan knows if he can get your eyes, he can take your destiny. He's not in a hurry to kill you if he can just get your eyes off of the right path. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, this woman was giving birth to a baby, and while she was giving birth to a baby, her husband dies in war. Then her father-in-law dies in war. And so she looks at this brand new baby, and she's looking at her current situation, and she's looking at her future, and she names the baby based on her present. She names him Ichabod. The glory of God has departed. In other words, she allowed a temporary setback to become a permanent vision in her life. A temporary eyesight problem became a permanent vision. Stop naming your future based off what you see currently in the present. Be careful not to let a temporary situation become a permanent vision over your family, over your life. I want the keys to come up. I want to give you real quickly three ways to get your eyes good again. Three ways to get your eyes Full of light, full of wonder, full of life, and full of hope. Number one, see God's blessings. See God's blessings. Instead of waking up every morning and seeing what's wrong with the world, seeing what's wrong with others, complaining, start seeing what's right. Count your blessings one by one. Count your blessings. I've heard this story. You've probably heard it before, too. This, this woman, her and her husband, they moved out of their neighborhood, sold their house, they were so excited to move into this new home. They had been waiting for this. It was a dream home. And uh, when they moved in, they couldn't wait to get rid of their whole neighborhood because they lived in a really bad neighborhood, bad neighbors, and, and they moved into this new house. The woman was washing dishes in the kitchen. The only problem was she looks out the window of her kitchen and she says, honey, we moved next to dirty neighbors again. She's looking at these neighbors, their backyard, it's just a mess. Dirt everywhere. They got their clothes hanging on a clothing line. Dirt on the clothes. She goes, they didn't even wash their clothes. They need to wash them again. Why are they hanging out? The kids would come out. Their kids are so dirty and messy. Every day, this wife complained to her husband about the neighbors. And then one day, she came downstairs. She's washing dishes. She looks out the window. She goes, honey, 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 come down and see this. Our neighbors finally cleaned up their yard. Their kids, they finally look clean and sanitary and their clothes are finally spotless. And the husband laughs, he goes, no honey, I just finally washed our windows. <laughs> How many of y'all know some people that need to get their windows washed? Don't raise your hand, they're sitting by you. I'm just kidding. Sometimes we're so fixed on the problems, we're not seeing God's blessings. Do you see your, your life as a glass half empty or a glass half full? To see the blessings is, is to lift our eyes up. Lift our eyes up from our phones. To see the blessings is to look around you and see how blessed you are. Turn to the person next to you and say, I see you. 
I see you, Ashley. I see you. In fact, go ahead, just pull your phone out for a second and just take a, a video or a picture of this moment. Come on, just take a little selfie with the person next to you. I'm going to get a selfie with you guys this morning. I see you. I see you over there. Boom. I love this moment. We only take pictures of the things we think are beautiful. What if you started capturing those beautiful moments that are happening right in front of you on a daily basis? Count your blessings. How many would say you're blessed? Come on. If you got breath in your lungs, you're blessed. If you got somebody in your life who cares about you, you're blessed. If you care about someone in your life, you're blessed. You're blessed. You're so blessed. Turn the lights on and wake up, man. You got everything you've been looking for. You don't need another fix. You got it. You've got it. Go home and just kiss the ground and say, thank you, Jesus, for this place I live in. Thank you for this roommate that I have and this dorm room and this apartment. Thank you for this life that you've given me. I think our lives would change if we open our eyes with gratitude. We just said, thank you, thank you. And you know what God says in response? He says what Chick-fil-A says, my pleasure, my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I think God likes it when we say thank you and we don't act like entitled Christians that expect our daddy to take care of everything. But we go, wow, I didn't deserve this. You've been so good, God. Number two, see God's word. See God's word. So one, see God's blessings. Two, see God's word. Psalm 19 verse 8 says, the word of God brings joy and delight to your heart. It enlightens the eyes. I love that. Psalm 19 verse 8. It enlightens the eyes. The word of the Lord is pure. You want your life to become pure? You want to be free from that addiction? Look at God's word. Look at God's word, and the more you read the Psalms and the Proverbs and the Gospels, and the more you get your eyes on, on God's goodness and his kindness this week, just walk outside and look at the stars and go, you made that. You made those. You made Turkey Mountain in all of its glory. You made the Arkansas River. Lord, you bring the rain. Wake up. Recognize God's word is alive all around you. Genesis is happening still. The creation of God is continuing to be creative. I know, it's kind of crazy. You say, no, 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 God's finished. He's already finished. He's finished with everything. He who started this work, he finished it a long time ago. No, he's still working. <laughs> what Bible are you reading? He's still working. He's still working on you and me and our church and the best days are still in front of us. And the more I read God's word, the more my eyes light up with faith and hope and compassion. And I start seeing people through the eyes of love and I stop judging. And the word of God washes me of prejudice and pride and arrogance and envy and comparison and strife and nitpickiness and complaining about everybody and everything. And I gotta get my kids to act the way they need to act. And I'm sending them to boarding school and I gotta fix everybody. And I got to change everybody. No, the word of God starts changing you. This is why the Israelites, when they looked at Goliath, they ran because they forgot who their God was. God never removed Goliath. He just had one boy whose eyes were open to see how big God was in the face of Goliath. What if God's not trying to change your circumstance? What if he's trying to change you? 
What if he's not trying to take out Goliath? What if he's trying to get you to take out Goliath by just shifting your perspective on the problem you're looking at? When I see God's word, I see he's bigger than my problems. He's big enough to handle the things that I feel are insurmountable. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven? Like, I just opened the Bible and it turns there. Every time I open the Bible, I'm learning about how good of a father he is. How much he's for me and with me as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. Right? So the word of God. So then number three, here's final point right here. So see God's blessings. Two, see God's word. Three, see God's plans. God's plans. God's plans. See God's plans. God's plans. God wants you to see what he's up to, man. He wants you to see that he's working on your behalf, that he's working all things together for good, that he's got an answer for the problem you're facing. To see God's plans is to see victory instead of defeat to see God's plans is to see the purpose for the problem that you're in right now to see God's plans is to see the great physician that overrides the doctor's report I know you're seeing the doctor's report I know you see the legal notice I know you see the eviction I know you see the divorce papers I know you see what's wrong I know you see all these things but to see God's plan in the midst of that is to say God you're bigger than this I know you can handle this. Lord, I know you're working all things together for good. Lord, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So David said in Psalm 141, I fix my eyes on you. Job 31 verse 1 says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully on a woman. Now Job was making a covenant on the defensive side to guard his eyes against sexual temptation, lustful temptation. But what if we took Job's covenant and said, I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes. Yes, not to look at the wrong things. But I'm also going to make a covenant with my eyes to get on the offensive side and start seeing with eyes of faith. I'm not just going to live my whole life going, I hope I don't sin. I hope I don't sin. But I hope I start walking in the prophetic realm and promises and power and the potential that God's put inside. I hope I start seeing the things that God sees. I want you to stand your feet all over this place. What do you see? What are you looking at? It's time to get right in the eyes. What God has for you, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. What the Lord has in store for those whom he has called. God has so much more. There's more than meets the eye in the current season you're in. There's more than meets the eye with what you're looking at right now. My dad used to walk through the halls of our school when I was younger, and he would point at guys. He'd go, mighty man of God. And I was like, no, he's not. <laughs> no, he's not. He's a punk. He just cussed me out. He's not a mighty man of God. He's, he's a meanie. He's a bully. Bully. But my dad was calling those things that are not as though they were because he saw something in that boy. And the boys would step into the girls. He would look at someone and say, you're an Esther in the making for such a time as this. You're a Deborah. You're going to be a leader in your generation. I could see it in you. He was seeing something that others weren't see. And I want to end with this last scripture as we're all standing. 2 Kings 6, 14, the enemy had surrounded Elisha, a prophet in the Bible. And they came to kill him. And the 
And the servant of Elisha woke up in verse 15 and he saw all the troops, the horses, the chariots everywhere. And he said, oh, Elisha, what are we going to do? We're going to die. This is the end for us. Remember, he's looking at the temporary setback and he's allowing it to be a permanent vision. And Elisha says something to him. He says, don't be afraid because eyesight can drive fear or faith. He said, don't be afraid for there are more on our side than on theirs. Elisha saw something that this guy didn't see. And then he says this in the next verse. He says, oh Lord, open his eyes. This man had eyes. His eyes were up, but they weren't open. His eyes were looking, but they weren't seeing. So Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes. Open the eyes of his heart. Let him see what you see. Lord, open the eyes of our church. Let us see what you see. By the way, next week, I'm sharing some vision for our church that you don't want to miss. Some things that God's about to do in victory that God was stirring all summer and I've been waiting for the right time. So next week, don't miss it. But if you can see it, you can do it. If you can see it in here, it can happen out there. If you can see freedom for your family, if you can see prosperity, if you can see a breakthrough, if you could see your college tuition. There was a lady who came up to me after 9 a.m. service. She said, I've been praying and believing for my college tuition to be paid for. She said, I, I'm in a lot of debt. She said, I found out this week it's completely paid for. It's completely covered at ORU. See with eyes of faith. And in that moment, the man's eyes opened. I want us just to close our eyes all over this place. Sometimes you have to close your eyes to open your eyes. Sometimes you have to close your eyes to what you see in the natural so you can open the eyes of your heart to see in the supernatural. See what God sees. Without a vision, people perish. Without a vision for your future, people cast off restraint. They settle for anyone and anything. God has a purpose for your life. You're here on purpose because you have a purpose. I know you've seen good things in the past. Maybe you've also walked through some painful things, but God says, take your eyes off the rearview mirror. I got something in front of you that's so amazing, but you got to turn the lights on. Don't miss what I'm doing right now. Don't miss how good it is, how great the days are that you're living in and you're headed towards. The best days are still in front of you. But you got to lift your eyes up from that addiction. Lift your eyes up from that darkness. Get your eyes out of the gutter. Get your eyes off those things that really won't give you what you think they will. Keep your eyes straight on God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. If you're here today and you say, Paul, I need God to touch my eyes. I need to get my eyes back on what you are sharing today. I want you to lift your hand up all over this room if that's you. Yeah, in fact, just leave your seat right now. Just take a step down to this altar. Come on, just get bold. Get bold. The same way you fix your eyes on something else and you move towards it, fix your eyes on this altar right now. Just move towards the direction of humility. Move towards the direction of repentance. Move towards the direction of a new vision, new faith, fresh eyes. You're saying, Lord, I need fresh eyes for this season. Lord, I need eyes to see the people in my life. The things that I'm looking at, that I'm discouraged by. Lord, I need eyes to see me the way that you see me. Lord, eyes to see my family the way you see them. Lord, I thank you, God, that my eyes are moving from discouragement and depression to joy, to hope, to peace. Yeah, come on, let's cheer on every person that's coming right now to this altar.
There's more out there. You're saying, Lord, I need to see the value of my current season. If that's you, just leave your seat. Come and join us right now. Turn your eyes Lord, I need washing in my eyes. Lord, I need you to cleanse my eyes. Lord, I need to come out of this dark cellar that I've been in. Lord, I'm ready to walk out into the light. Lord, I'm ready to open my eyes to your glory, to your beauty. Lord, I'm ready to lift my eyes up to see what you see, to see me the way you see me, to see others the way you see them, to see the circumstances the way you see them. Scientists say that it takes six weeks for a, a human life to produce tears. A baby cannot cry actual tears until six weeks in. And then the tears start to flow. But the older a person gets, the harder it is to produce tears. And the scientists have said that the older people get, the harder it is for them to cry. Think about that song. I don't know why they say grown men don't cry. Because we do. My dad cried. A lot of you grown men in this room cry. But they also said that tears are healing ointment for the eyes. There's something about tears that brings healing to your life, to your spirit. Tears of repentance, tears of joy, tears of thankfulness, tears of praise, tears to release the grief, the sadness that you've been holding on to. You've been fighting back how to release the grief. But the more that you release those tears in the presence of God, there's healing that's coming. There's an old hymn called, He Washed My Eyes With Tears. And it goes like this. He washed my eyes with tears that I might see. The broken heart I had was good for me. He tore it all apart and he looked inside. He found it full of fear and foolish pride. He swept away the things that made me blind. And then I saw the clouds were silver lined. Now I understand what's best for me. He washed my eyes with tears that I might see. The glory of God finally revealed to me. I did not know that he had wounded hands. I saw the blood he spilt upon the sands. I saw the marks of shame and wept and cried. He was my substitute for me, he died. Now I'm glad he came so tenderly. He washed my eyes with tears that I might see. If you're still crying, you're still young. Come on. If it's been a while since you cried, I got a challenge for you this week. Get some tears this week. Get some tears this week. I don't want to cry. I don't want to cry. But there's something powerful. If you have to do it all by yourself, don't let anybody see. But just go outside, look up at the sky and say, Lord, thank you that you're giving me eyes like a child, eyes of faith, eyes of innocence, eyes of purity. Lord, I'm making a covenant with my eyes to look upon you, to look at things that bring hope and life and joy and peace and purity and truth and grace. 
Lord, the windows of my soul, I'm putting a new protection on them. God, I'm going to be careful what I look at, what I pay attention to. Lord, I thank you that I would see people through the eyes of compassion, through eyes of Jesus, that I would see this season and what you have next. God, with eyes of contentment. Lord, that I don't have a wandering eye. Lord, I have a thankful eye. God, I thank you that I would live with gratitude and contentment, but Lord, also live with hope and faith that the best is still to come. So let's close our eyes all over this place. Say, Jesus, my eyes are yours. Eyes, I make a covenant with you to only look at things that bring hope, things that bring purity, things that bring love, God's love into my life. Eyes, you don't own me. Eyes, you are led by the Spirit to see with faith, to see with compassion, to see with humility, to see with thankfulness. Lord, I'm all yours. My life is yours. Wash my eyes. Wash my heart. Make me more like you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you, Victory. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message today. We love you. We're praying for you. If this message spoke to you, leave a comment or let us know how it spoke to you in whatever way that it did. Also, if you haven't subscribed to our channel, click subscribe, turn on the notifications so you know when we're uploading messages of encouragement just for you. If there's anything we can do for you, pray for you, let us know. We want to hear from you. Also, if you're not following on social media, connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We'd love to just be there for you any way we can to encourage you. If you want to be a part of helping us continue to bring the gospel to more people like you, you can participate in giving right there from your screen. You could go on the Victory app on victory.com or just click give, and you could be a part of sowing into reaching more people with God's love. We can't do this without you. We're so thankful for those out there that are part of our online church. We love you. Your best days are right in front of you.